welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you so much for joining me. One thing that made me so happy, I should say last week, it's it's been a few days since we finished it off, but I think in our last episode, I had mentioned that me and the girls were responsible for making our Thanksgiving desserts, um, and we decided to make an almond coconut cheesecake. And I, yeah, I'm always a little nervous making a recipe I've never made before, but OMG, it was amazing. Like I could sell it for money. Amazing. I was so impressed with us. Um, and it just turned out delicious. And we were eating leftovers for days because we have such a small family that it barely got touched on Thanksgiving. So we had, um, we were having cheesecake dessert for a number of days to follow. And now it's gone um, until, I guess, next Thanksgiving. Maybe we'll make it again. But, oh, it was so good. And I was so relieved that it turned out so well. I am, of course, also so happy to be talking to today's guest. She is the best-selling and award-winning author of lots of things, including The Dance of Thieves duology, the Remnant Chronicles Trilogy, The Jenna Fox Chronicles, The Miles Between, A Room on Lorelei, and Scribbler of Dreams. Her newest book, the illustrated and expanded edition of Morrigan, The Beginnings of the Remnant Universe, came out last week. Please welcome Mary E. Pearson. Hello. Hi, Marissa. It's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. I know you weren't feeling well a little while ago, um, but I'm really glad that you are feeling better and so excited to get to talk to you. Uh, yeah, that's one thing I'm really happy about is that I am feeling better. Yes. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's all going around. So uh, I'm glad that I am well enough today to sit and chat with you about books and writing and all those things. Me too. And congratulations on this stunning book coming out. How excited are you about this edition? Oh my gosh, I am so excited. This is something I have waited years for. Uh, it I wrote this as a um like a an e-novella. It was never meant to be in print, but I, I became so close to these characters and I loved them so much. It it actually became like one of my favorite stories in this whole world. And I always wished it could be a physical copy because a lot of people who read it um, in other or people from other countries could not read it in the e-novella form unless their you know particular publisher also bought the e-novella. And mm. a lot of people wanted to display it with the other books. You know how we love our our books to be a complete set. And so now for so many people, including me, it is, and it's so pretty. Um Macmillan just went above and beyond the, I love the cover, Kate O'Hara, her illustration is fabulous, and the design elements, um, the interior illustrations, the borders, everything, it is just, it really is a collectible, and it's just so beautiful. No, it really is. When I received my copy in the mail, I was just 
like my jaw dropped. It's like one of these books that you kind of want to just pet because it's yes. so pretty. <laughs> I did pet it. <laughs> I love texture too. And, and just feeling the way the cover feels and then, you know, the foil design and everything on it. Yeah, so yes, it no, is. I know. It's got that really luscious paper. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the cool like snake <laughs> and that's foil printed on the, the, oh, it is, they did a wonderful job. It's a cool yeah. book. They really did. And there was a lot of things that I hadn't seen until I actually got the book in my hands because, you know, I had seen initial sketches, but I hadn't seen final, uh, the final illustration. So like the map I had never seen, I had drawn like a rough map for them to go by of sort of what it should look like. And of course, you know, how writers draw, it was, you know, X here and X there. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> So my map didn't look anything like this one. It's just so beautiful. That's funny. I was actually, I was going to ask you about the map because I don't have um, the the Morgan trilogy in hardcover. And I was wondering if it was like the map was carried over from, or not the Morgan trilogy, sorry, the Remnants Chronicles. Um, I was wondering if the map was carried over or if it was like something brand new that they created for this it, book. It in is particular. brand new. Uh, what happened is because this is a prequel, uh, we wanted the map to not reflect the, the rest of the remnant world. Sure. Because it didn't exist yet. So there are no kingdoms or anything like that in the new map. It is just, it's a more primitive um, perspective of what this world looked like you know, to the inhabitants of the, that time yeah. and the events that matter to them. So those are, sh they show up on this and, and just the interesting little details to fill some of the spaces, um, you know, a, a dragon swimming through the water. I mean, it's all these little surprises were just really fun for me to see. And I'm kind of a map nerd anyway. Like that's the first thing I flip to in a book. Is <laughs> me too. I love it. I am jealous. I have not had a map in a book yet. It is on my writing bucket list. Um, so oh, when you I have to do it. it. It's so like, much oh, fun. I love it so much. Um, okay, but I'm going to kind of backtrack us because I we're, we're already off track. And I totally, I want to ask more about the map and the world building and all of it. But we do always start with um, the <laughs> same question on this podcast. Um, so to back up a little bit, I would love to hear your origin story. I know you have published many books. You've been around for a long time. Uh, but how did you get started on this path in this career? Well, do I go back to when I was eight years old? Yes, go all the way. <laughs> all the way. Um, I was always uh, a very avid reader as a child. And, you know, that blooms, I think, very often into being a, a avid writer. And I wasn't very good at a lot of things. I was the tiniest, tiniest person in my class, um, very small and short. And, and so sports, I was always like the last person picked. So the only thing I really excelled at was reading and writing. And when my teachers would, uh, compliment me on my writing. I mean, there's no, you cannot judge how far one small bit of encouragement will take somebody. And that little bit of encouragement that I got 
like, oh, that was a very nice sentence, Mary. That just made me want to do it all the more. So uh, that was kind of the beginning. But even though I loved writing and and in high school, I still loved reading and writing and I wanted to be a writer. To me, I didn't know any writers that were um, on the planet that were alive. Uh, All the writers I read, I think, were mostly dead people. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really have author visits back then. I'm very, very old. And so it... To me, wanting to be a writer was like this pie in the sky thing that I could never be. And then when I went on to college, one of my professors, I was majoring in English, and one of my professor professors said, Well, the only thing you'll ever do with an English degree is be a teacher. You will never be a writer. And uh, talk about rushed dreams. Um, so you know, I did other things. I pursued art. I I got a degree in illustration and became an artist, but nothing is ever wasted. You know, no matter what your experiences in life, you carry that with you. And all of my um, training in art, it helped me to be a very visual person, which is very helpful in uh, world building and in story building. So uh, I went on to have a short career in art stayed home, raised children, went back to teaching, got involved um, very much in writer's workshop with my students. And lo and behold, in my late 30s, I started not just writing secretly on the side, but writing for publication. And uh, so I finally sold my first book when I was, eh, I think, like 42. Mm-hmm. Uh published when I was 44. So it it was like this long winding road. Um, and not always, you know, you can't connect all the dots from A to B. I did this, I did that, but everything kind of came together to help me uh, do what I always wanted to do. And my husband, God bless him, he, you know, I was working on as a teacher working on my breaks and having a hard time finishing some of these books. And he said, well, why don't you quit your job and finish that book you've been working on for so long? And I go, okay. (laughs) Your idea, not mine. (laughs) It was a really scary thing to do, you know, not having that paycheck, not having the health insurance. And um, so it really was a step of faith for me, but you know, it, I sold a book and then sold another one, and I've been a writer ever since. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, having been through, you know, a number of kind of different career choices and down a few different paths, when you did sell that book and you became, uh, you know, a professional writer, how did that feel? Like, is, was it like, oh, I was I've meant to do this all along? Or like, what, what was that like for you? Well, it was... Um... It was like, finally, I I did it. But I always thought like once you sold a book, you would feel validated and and know what you're doing. And the one thing, the best advice I had was someone at SCBWI told me, they were like a mentor and they said, okay, get busy writing that next book. It's Mm -hmm. like, oh, you mean I can't sit and rest on my laurels? (laughs) (laughs) And and so I did that. And I've been doing that ever since. As soon as I finish a book, I'm moving on to the next. But 
I always thought it would feel easy, like on the second book and the third book and the fourth book, but every story is different. The um, the publishing world changes and it's always like a brand new book and you have all your, your heart poured into this thing and it's always a challenge. And I have tried, you know, doing various genres um, to kind of keep the challenges fresh. And so it's, you never really think like, oh, I've arrived, I'm done, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, let's see what the next challenge is. And they're they're always there. And I think maybe that's what makes writing so fun and interesting. It's like you never completely master it. It's always sort of like enticing you along. Let's do this next little story and see how you do there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. It is weird that no matter how many books you write, there's always that moment when you're starting it on a new project when you're like, how do we do this? <laughs> you know what? What is the first step? What am I supposed to be doing here? Um, and I, I keep also feeling like at some point, I'll just know this is how I write a book. Um, but but I don't I, I don't think that we ever really get there. Every like you say, every book is its own thing. Yeah. And even though you remind yourself like, oh, I have felt this way before, like, okay, I have to give the money back. This is not going to work. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then you think, okay, I, you felt this way before. My husband is a really good way, has a good way of reminding me like, oh, you know, this is like the fourth time in this process of this book that you think, oh, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, but it, it, you know, you just have to keep going and, you know, trust the process. A little bit of doubt is probably a good thing. Uh, keeps us on our toes. So, and, yeah. and you, you know, um, because I, you have written so many books um, and the process, I mean, have you found that your process changes with each one or? It does. I mean, I have kind of the the bare bones that like, you know, I, I start with research and brainstorming and then we make an outline. And at some point I try to write a quick first draft and like like the major steps tend to stay the same. But there's so much room for the, the in between or the smaller details to change. And every book, like some books I'll write chronologically, some books I'll bounce around. Uh, Some books, you know, that first draft writes itself really quick and I just, you know, plow through. And then other books, I get a third of the way through and realize everything's wrong and I have to start over. I mean, it really does. There's a lot of variation um, within that quote unquote process. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the characters are slightly different than what you envision. Oh, all Um, the time. My characters are never what I think they're going to be yeah, yeah, and they they sort of mess things up for you. <laughs> yes, no, totally. And you too. I mean, I guess we both could say this. We both bounced around in genres too. You know, you, within the YA world, like you have written fantasy. Obviously, you've written contemporary. You've written sci-fi. What do you think is drawing you to try out so many different genres? Like, did you see yourself as that sort of author when you began, or would you just no, kind of follow the inspiration? Know, I, I think I just thought of myself as, you know, probably a contemporary um, type of genre writer. And, but 
I when I write a story, I'm only writing it for the story and the character. And I honestly, I don't even think about genre. Um, when I wrote The Adoration of Jenna Fox and someone said, uh, oh, so you've written a sci-fi. And I said, no, it's not a sci-fi. <laughs> to me, it. I was so focused on the family dynamics and interaction. And in even though there's advanced technology in this book, it wasn't, um, it was really kind of rooted in a setting that was recognizable. It was only like set 50 years in the future. So it wasn't a far future book. And of course, when I'm all done with it, I see, oh yes, this is sci-fi, but I don't focus on the genre. I just focus on the character and the situation they're facing and what they have to do. And, uh, but one thing that really has changed and I, I, it surprised me was that I've written series because when I started out, everything I wrote was standalone and I wanted to keep it that way. I, I thought, why would anybody want to write a series? Because <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, I want to move on to the next story. I don't want to just keep rehashing more of the same, but I really, really love digging deep into a character and you have so much more to work with when you have a series because you have this larger landscape and the development of the character arc can be so much more complex. And um, so I, I have fallen in love with series, you know, whether it's one, two or two or three, I haven't done four yet, but uh, uh, two or three seems to be my sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah. I just finished my first duology and right now I am in love with the duology format. <laughs> like I just want to write duologies from here on out. Yeah. Because you know, that sometimes the third one is just like, oh, that's, um, it, it really is so much baggage to carry inside your head mm -hmm. and getting all those threads at, over the course of a you know a thousand pages or whatever a, a series ends up being so yeah. yeah yeah duology is a little more you know you can hold on to it a little easier yeah yeah and there's less time to overcomplicate things which i i have a tendency to overcomplicate everything <laughs> yeah all those all those little nasty threads that you have to wrap up yeah, so much. No, trilogies are a lot, but it is funny that, you know, I can say, oh, I'm only going to do duologies or, you know, I also went through a period of like, I only want to do standalones from here on out. It never lasts because you get an idea for a new story. And if you love that story and you're inspired by that story, well, some stories can be told in a book and some stories need four books or right. eight books. Like you just don't know um, until you really kind of start exploring it. So you know, you just kind of got to, you got to write what the story needs yeah. to be told. Well, even like with my, the spinoff duology, I had, I hadn't intended to write that, but, you know, in the course of writing the trilogy, a, a little nugget took hold um, about midway through writing the, the trilogy. And it just kind of continued to simmer in the back of my head. And it's like, oh, I guess I'm going to write this spinoff. So. Yeah. yeah, who knows? And did you know it was going to be a duology that the the Dance of Thieves? No, I didn't know it was going to be a duology. I thought it was going to be a standalone. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, I told my editor, you know, I think I need 
more space on this one. And luckily, you know, they're very, my publisher and editor are very flexible that way that it can be, you know, as many stories as it, uh, books as it needs to be. Um, I, I kind of wish that was the way all the time. It's just like you, you want to start writing a story and like, maybe this will be a standalone. Maybe it'll be two books, maybe three, maybe four. You know, that is the sort of the ideal for me way to write. You, the story's done when it's done. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And I also feel like my editor and publisher, they're very like, what do you need, Marissa? You you write the book that you feel like you need to write, and we will figure out a way to publish it and get it to market, um, which is incredible. And I know it's not the case with every writer that a lot of times, you know, you get a book deal or there's a certain expectation um, or maybe only one book sells and the author might have ideas for a series. But if the publisher doesn't want it, like your hands can be tied sometimes, which I just can imagine would be so creatively frustrating. Oh, very much. So, you know, I'm very, I feel very uh, grateful that uh, I have that flexibility with my publisher. So. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, let's dive into talking now about the new book, uh, Morrigan, The Beginnings of the Remnant Universe. Uh, so this is, of course, a prequel to The Remnant Chronicles. And you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, but I know it had a really unusual path. Like it kind of started out as one thing and then it grew into something else and then it grew into something else. Kind of take us through how did this book come together? Well, uh, I, as I mentioned, I, I wrote this um, back in 2015. That's when it came out. I can't remember the exact date mm -hmm. that I wrote it, but it came out in 2015. And as I said, it, just as an e-novella, and I started hearing from readers who really, really wanted a physical book. And I mentioned it, but at the time, it just didn't seem um, feasible, I think, to turn it into a, a physical book. And then last fall, my editor asked me, um, well, what do you think about publishing that as a special edition? And I said, seriously, <laughs> you, you, you do not have to ask me twice. And I said, I would love that. And, and then she mentioned, um, would you like to write any bonus material, like a bonus chapter? And I was like, are you kidding? I would love that. And I, I, the thing is, the story was originally only supposed to be a very short story. And if you've seen my books, I tend to write very long. It's rare that anything's under 500 pages. So this little short story ended up being an e-novella, which it was never supposed to be because I wrote it too long. I became attached to the characters. So there was sometimes like the, the pressure was on, you know, this thing needs to be published, this little short story, give it to us. And so I sort of wrapped it up very quickly, even though I wasn't ready and when she said I could add a bonus chapter, I was just like, oh, yes, I can expand this. And so my little one bonus chapter ended up being five bonus chapters <laughs> because I can't <laughs> stop. It's a sickness, I guess. And uh, so then we started going through possible, you know, um, sketches and illustrations and, and artists and uh, it 
it now it's like a little short novel. Um, and so that's how it, how it came to be. Uh, the, the actual story, uh, when they asked me to write, um, the story, I, I knew immediately what I wanted to write about. And that was about Morrigan, the girl, not the kingdom. And if you've read the Remnant Chronicles, um, the whole thing kind of um, revolves around false histories. Uh, the origins of this world are uncertain. Nobody really knows how it came to be. Uh, it's a post-apocalyptic world. And so fairy tales kind of arise from that. And also histories that how they imagined People led this world. And so there's a kingdom named for Morrigan, and it talks about all of her bravery and all the things that she did and and how she was blessed by the gods. And and it, it kind of goes on and on and builds her into this practically like a goddess. And uh, so I wanted to write the real story of who she was, the lost history that nobody knew. And basically, she was just a poor girl struggling to survive with her tribe and how, you know, she meets a scavenger boy, which is someone from an enemy camp. And so I kind of recreate, I tweak the history so you can see what the real history is as opposed to the one that's elevated throughout the series. And so she meets this, this boy and they have to keep their friendship a secret. And I love forbidden romances mm -hmm. um, and they develop this friendship and as they grow up they kind of keep interacting over the years and they change they go from small children to older children to teenagers and then the unthinkable happens they begin falling in love and which they still have to keep a secret from their respective tribes and camps uh, and this is sort of when history is set in motion and we can see how the rest of the, the, the remnant world came to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, of all the books, I think there, the romance is like, it's a very bittersweet kind of story. And it, it, many ways it makes it one of my favorite books in the whole series. So, yeah. No, and I love how you write romance. Um, and there's always such delicious tension and I especially I mean I loved the the play on the star-crossed lovers you know there's a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet you know oh, fighting yeah. camps you know the the just the tension between them knowing that they can't be open with their feelings. They they'll never be able to marry and like bring him home to the family, right? Um, right. And it just it just creates just that, that wonderful wonderful romance. How? But you've also you've written so many great romances. So when you are getting started on a project um, and you're thinking about what the love story is going to be. Like, are there any tips that you use or thoughts that you come back to over and over again? How, what is your approach to developing the romance? Well, uh, you know, every every romance is a obviously a little different, just like a story. And uh, I I think very often when the, the couple meets, there's obviously obstacles keeping them apart or perceived obstacles in 
you know, the Remnant Chronicles, um, the first book, The Kiss of Deception. Leah is a princess on the run who doesn't want to marry a prince that she's never met. And so there's, you know, the conflict. I always look for what, where is the conflict? What's keeping them apart? Um, but then, you know, looking for those places where they have something in common. And sometimes it's just chemistry. I mean, there's lots of things that bring people together. Um, chemistry is probably not something that's lasting um, as far as, you know, in the long term, but you can definitely be attracted to somebody in in some way. Um, but then I always try to develop a friendship where their words matter, the things that they say to each other matter, that they, and also probably the most important is that um, they're equally matched. One is not uh, more dominant over the other um, in, you know, in wit and strategy and, and all of those things. So I try to make them, you know, um, equally matched for whatever game that they're playing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just a, a sort of an enduring respect to me. Respect is such an, it's a sexy part of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I try to make sure some of those elements are all in place. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that was like a lot of great advice packed into a very short answer. Um, I particularly love the idea that they need to be equally matched for whatever game they're playing. Because these, so many of these romance stories, there is kind of a game element involved. And like, whether it's trying to like best each other at something or hide something from one another, or there's secrets involved or like whatever it is, there, there is an element of, of great, of game, of strategy, of oh, playfulness yeah. sometimes even. And that for me, I'd never really thought of it in that specific term, but it is so much of what kind of makes it sizzle and spark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If if one person is dominating the game, then um, it's like, oh, you can turn the TV off and walk away. So mm. uh, you, you have to feel that there's a possibility that either one will um, uh, be the, the victor in this little match or or maybe if they're really lucky, they're a victor together. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what we're rooting for. Oh, that's what we're hoping for. <laughs> so you mentioned how like this was um, started out as just a short story and you knew that you wanted to write about Morrigan. Um, did you already have a pretty clear idea of what her story was or was or did you like get the oh, I want to tell this prequel about this specific character? And then did you go and have to figure it out from there? I, I did have to figure it out. I had vague, as I was writing the history um, in the Remnant Chronicles that elevated her to something else, I kind of, I did have my tongue in my cheek knowing that this was not the real history mm. uh, because it rarely is. And so I, I, but I still had to dig deeper to find out exactly what it was. And, um, and Going back, because this is like the very beginning of the Remnant universe, exploring more of that post-apocalyptic world in greater depth and looking at what she actually had to endure. And 
when some of the the books have already been written, you have to be very careful that you you may contradict certain parts of the story, but you can't contradict everything. There has to be some truth that comes out of it. So like her grandmother, um, uh, Godrell, I, I had to make sure some of the things that she said were still true and real. It's just that the way they ended up being interpreted were different. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't know everything, but that was the the fun part is um, just sort of digging in deep and, and talking to this character. Um, I love getting to know, you know, the way a character thinks and what they fear and what they want and what they need and all of that stuff. And, and so I had to do all of that with Morrigan too. Yeah. No, I and I had wondered if with the trilogy having been written or in the process of being written, I guess, maybe at the time that you first wrote that short story, uh, if there was anything like in those books that you regretted as you started working on Morrigan's story? Like, were there things you were like, oh, if I hadn't put that detail in, then I could <laughs> change this, you know? There's always regrets. I mean, there's <laughs> times where I wish, oh, I wish I'd written the entire trilogy and I could go back and change. And But you have to work with what you've already got in print. And, yeah, yeah, uh, no, it's, it's a constant frustration sometimes for us series writers. Yes, trying to make this all kind of meld together in in a coherent way, but uh, there there wasn't since Morrigan was pretty much a vague uh, figure, historical figure. I still had quite a bit of leeway because I could make almost everything written about her faults. But what I did is I made events happen. It's like when she. Um, <laughs> In the original story, oh, I don't want to do spoilers. This is hard, but I know I'm sorry. The original spoilers, she was er, er, story. She was given um, her father gave a dowry for her, but then in the actual story, you find out she was stolen, and that was a payment for mm-hmm. uh, her. It wasn't exactly a dowry; she was just bought with a sack of grain. So. Um, you know, that was sort of fun. And I think some of those things I, I envisioned, but I could really play it out in this story. Yeah, no, I like that. And it's kind of fun writing prequels because it's kind of like you've been given a handful of puzzle pieces, but you don't really know how they're going to fit into a picture yet. Yes, yes. Yeah. It it really is kind of a fun exercise in going back and and putting in these little puzzle pieces and showing what their true colors are because you maybe couldn't see them the first time around. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and then I love that you talk about the world world building too. How I mean, have you like figured out the the math of how much time passes between this prequel and the start of the Remnant Chronicles, or are you kind of leaving it up? for vague reader interpretation. Yeah, I leave it up for vague interpretation. Um, But I think in my mind, it's, you know, anywhere from, you know, 15, you know, 1500 years to maybe 2000 years. Yeah. It's a lot. It's It's a a lot. It's a very long time. Um, Because that's one thing I love is that, you have one world, 
but it is very much like writing two completely different worlds um, because it has changed so much as this kingdom has developed. Uh, did you have one world that you thought was more fun to develop than another? Uh, not really. I I love setting. I you know mentioned I'm a very visual person, so each one has. I I loved writing about the very starkness of Morrigan's world and how everything is freshly, pretty much freshly obliterated. It's been maybe 70 years since this post-apocalyptic event happened. So it's all still pretty fresh and there's still remnants of buildings and things like that. Mm. Um, But then in the uh, first book, The Kiss of Deception, I loved writing about uh castles and kings and queens and and it's, it's kind of a fairy taleish type of world uh in that respect but even that blossoms from the stories that were told to these very young children at the very early ages and then in the heart of betrayal we move on to venda which is a very dark and and frightening city and so the architecture everything about it was different and i loved writing about that so uh you know i i kind of just dive into whatever world i'm at at the time and explore it i love to travel so maybe that's part of it it's just like i don't care where i go i love seeing new things yeah no i think travel is so helpful for kind of seeing what else is possible and how how do other cultures do this and what is the architecture like and I, I always feel so inspired when I travel oh I do too I just I there I love love looking at all the tiny little details that other people just walk past yeah you know the, the doorknobs the um the, the tiny little sculptural details on the backs of buildings um it's to me, it's fascinating. And also just the people. Uh, we all live in our own little bubble of a world, no matter where you live. You're just used to everyone doing things the way they do it where you live and seeing other cultures and how they approach things, how they speak, um, what they're comfortable saying, what they aren't comfortable saying. Um, all of those things is. I mean, it just opens the world up and I love that. Yeah. Do you have, when it comes to world building, do you have like a favorite or even a least favorite thing about creating your own worlds? Oh, sometimes, you know, maybe the clothing, um, you know, getting into the details. I think... Part of it is when I world build, I try to, you know, mention things that are directly affecting the character. So it it happens organically. I'm not just doing info dumps. Mm. And the problem is there's so much about a character's world. If they're living in it daily, they don't notice. And clothing is generally one of those things. So if they're having, like in um, The Heart of Betrayal, uh, Leah is not very much into clothing, but then she gets different clothing from the uh, 
a clan of people there. And suddenly the the clothing is very interesting. And I was really into it uh, Hmm. because it's so different from what she's used to. And so she could explain it in detail. But, you know, the everyday things that are part of a character's world, they aren't going to talk about because it's just that's normal for them. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, it is one of those things that's tied really strongly to the the point of view and the perspective. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, last question before we move on to our bonus round. Um, another one that I ask all my guests, what would you say is one of the biggest challenges that you have had to face so far in your career and how were you able to overcome it? Oh boy, one of the biggest challenges. There's been many. Uh, I think um, probably um, closing out, pushing away that internal editor, because I think we're always our own hardest critics. And um, so moving forward with a book, even when you think, oh, this is, I've really done it this time. This is a mess. It's not going to happen. And, you know, you always think that this is the end of my career. I'm not going to be writing another book. And, and that happens regularly And this, and every single time you think, well, this time it really is true. Um, So I think it's that, you know, just um, shutting down that internal critic and trusting the writing process uh, through the end of the book. And I think everyone thinks that writers are just so full of confidence and they know everything they're doing. And maybe there's there's some who are, but I think um, doubt is a part of it. And I just try to fall into the writing that I think that's how I've met that challenge is just love the writing, love what you're doing, love it. Because in at the end of the day, you have to love this book in order to uh, not sell it, but um, to make other people believe it. If you don't love it, probably no one else will either. So, you know, just keep pushing forward, keep, keep on. <laughs> I love it. No, such good advice. Um, and we do talk a fair amount about those doubts that creep up for all of us all the time. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. But no, the love and the passion for for the story and the storytelling, I always come back to that. I always feel like, well, that's the one thing that, that can never be taken away. Right. And, you know, the the rewriting, um, you know, it, when I finish a draft, I'm always like, oh, hooray, it's so, I'm so happy I did it. Mm. But then you go back and you reread it after a little bit of time and you think, oh, I wrote the big, biggest piece of garbage in the world. <laughs> and then I have to remind myself, oh, that's what revising is for. And so I think especially with um, new writers, they see a finished book on the shelf and they don't realize it was at the garbage stage at some mm. point. So. Yeah. No, that's a great point. It's it's easy to forget that. It's easy, even easy for me to forget that. And I know, I know how it works. And right. I still sometimes read someone's book and like, how do they do it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mary, are you ready for our bonus round? I am. Plotter or pantser? Um, Planter in between. 
Writing in the morning or writing at night? Both. I do both. Writing in a computer or writing in a notebook? Definitely a computer. Would you rather be a hunter or a scavenger? Hunter. (laughs) If you could visit any location from the world of the Remnant Chronicles, what would it be? Teravin, which is a little fishing village on the coast. Do you have a favorite writing craft book? I have several, including um, writing the breakout novel. Mm, That's a good one. Yeah. What is your personal mantra? Trust the process. What advice would you give to help someone be a happier writer? Believe in yourself. What book makes you happy? Oh, gosh, there are so many. Um, Probably a current book that makes me really happy just to open up to any page is Circe by Madeline Miller. Mm. What are you working on next? I am working on another fantasy. Um, It's the draft is done and I'm working on revising it now so I can move it from the garbage uh pop pail to the the better pail. Nice. <laughs> That's always a good good step in the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, where can people find you? I am mostly on Instagram, so they can find me at uh Mary E. Pearson on Instagram. Awesome. Mary, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Marissa. I loved all your questions and uh loved chatting about writing always. Yes, I know. Me too. And it was a a joy to get to talk to you. And I hope that we'll see each other in person again soon. I hope so. You guys take care. Readers, be sure to check out Morrigan, the beginnings of the Remnant universe, the illustrated and expanded edition. Trust me, you will not regret having this on your shelf. It is so pretty. And of course, it is available now. We encourage you to support your local indie bookstore if you can. If you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget to check out our merchandise store on Redbubble. Just search for The Happy Writer. Next week, I am excited to have the author-illustrator duo, Zipora Cohen and Stephen Salerno, talking about their adorable new picture book, on the corner of Chocolate Avenue, how Milton Hershey brought milk chocolate to America. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram. Find us at Marissa Meyer Author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.